0: Good morning and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode 37. Today we are in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. In in episode 36, we talked about just the first two verses of this chapter where God calls John to take a measuring stick and measure the inner court of the temple where God's people are permitted to be. <clears throat> he also called him to count their heads, to number them. And we talked about the fact that what you measure, you control. What you know, you can you can manage. And so there's a reason to measure the temple to count the people. It's their protection. It's to preserve that place and those people through whatever is coming. I want you to notice that a couple of paragraphs into today's section of Scripture, the tense changes. What John was seeing was future tense suddenly becomes past tense. And I want you to think about what the separating event has to be. So we're going to start in Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. <clears throat> I will empower my two witnesses to prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, they are both at the same time, which stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and wipes out their enemies. If anyone should wish to harm them, they will certainly meet their death in such a way. They have the power to shut up the heavens so that no rain will fall while they prophesy. They also have power over the waters, that is, to turn them to blood or to strike the earth with any type of plague whenever they wish. When they complete their witness, the beast which ascends from the abyss will wage war on them, that he might conquer them and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is called prophetically Sodom or Egypt, where their Lord was also crucified. And some of the peoples and races and languages and nations will see their bodies, will view their bodies for three and a half days. But people will not permit their bodies to be burned. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and party and exchange gifts with one another, for these two prophets tormented the inhabitants of the earth. Now, after the three and a half days, "...the breath of life from God entered into them, so that they stood on their feet, so that great fear fell on those who saw them. The witnesses heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up! Then they ascended to heaven on a cloud while their enemies looked on. And in that hour there was a great earthquake, so that a tenth of the city was destroyed, and seven thousand people were killed, so that the survivors were terrified, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second disaster has occurred. Watch. The third disaster is coming shortly. It's an interesting account of what's going on in God's kingdom. You remember that he measured out the temple and said that the inner court he would protect and all the worshipers therein, while the outer court would be trampled for 42 months. That's verse 2. Verse 3, I will empower my witnesses to prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. It's exactly the same amount of time. If I could just ask you to pause a moment and realize what he just said, because here's the encouragement in this scripture. The earth will endure an impure perfect amount of time of of trampling, of torment, but God's witnesses will be witnessing for exactly the same amount of time. Whatever you're facing today, whatever you're going through, whatever seems to be pushing on you the hardest, I want you to hear this promise. God has in place, fighting for you, the equal and opposite force. I teach young kids scientific concepts. I grew up in a science teacher's home. One of the true foundational scientific concepts in this world is that for every force there is an equal and opposite force. While it looks to you like the book is just lying on the table, it's not. The table is pushing back against the book to support it. Right. Gravity's pulling the book down with a force and the table is pushing back with a force. And so the book remains suspended on top of the table. We don't see those forces at work. It is the same in the kingdom of heaven. There are forces in your life right now pushing you against the grain of God, against the will of God, into places you don't want to go. God promises you, with exactly an equal force, and for exactly the same time that those forces push against you, he's got you. He will hold you where you are. He will not let them push you out of control. Verse four, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. There's two witnesses. They are both olive tree and lampstand. What in the world does that mean? Well, here's the key to deciphering exactly who these two witnesses are they are not individuals and everybody who's ever tried to guess at what individuals they might be and i've heard all kinds of crazy things it's moses it's enoch it's elijah it's it's jesus resurrected not already you know that already happened not going to happen again Those are foolish pursuits because the book of Revelation does not name them as individuals. In fact, it says they are both the two olive trees and the two lampstands. If my math skills are even still at just a second grade level, he just called them four different things, two lampstands and and two olive trees, unless both of them are equal part olive tree and lampstand. I don't get that because they're not individuals. You're trying to do math to force a concept of physical identity onto these two witnesses as individuals, and nothing in this scripture says they're two people. It says they are two witnesses. Lots of things can bear witness, but he gives you the clue. They are olive tree and lampstand. Well, let's, let's investigate that just a, a little bit. Olive trees make olives, right? And in Jesus' culture, in John's culture, what were olives used for? Well, they ate some of them, certainly, but not the majority of them. The majority of them were pressed for their oil. And I know that trendy people today cook with olive oil all the time. I've got it in my cabinet. It's better for your body to cook with olive oil than polyunsaturated fats, so we cook with olive oil quite a bit. I spray it on my pizza crust, do all kinds of things with it. But only a, only a little bit of it was used for cooking, even in John's day. What was the majority of it used for? Two things. Anointing, which is a, a minority use still, and lamp oil. That was its primary purpose. It was lamp oil. It would burn in a lamp slowly through a wick and it would last hours. Didn't make a lot of light, didn't burn aggressively, but it would burn. And so it was lamp oil. It brought light. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and continues to shine. And the darkness has never been able to overcome it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God is light. And to John, the concept of light is primary in his gospel, in his epistles, and here in the book of Revelation. They are the olive tree. They are light in this world and anointing. Light and anointing. And they are the lampstands. Well, the book of Revelation has already defined for us what lampstands represent in Revelation, and it's consistent. At every place that a lampstand appears, it represents the church, a church, a congregation, or the church at large, group of lampstands, a larger group of church people. But the lampstand, the two lampstands, the church, he's talking about his word, which is anointing and light, and his church, the light of God to the unsaved, The lamp stand. Nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. No, they put it on a stand so that it gives light to everyone around. See? Scripture tells you how to translate these two symbols accurately. The two witnesses are the anointing, healing, enlightening word, and the light of God to the lost, the church. The word and the church. If anyone tries to harm them, he dies consumed by fire. Get it? If anyone tries to harm the word of God, he has a fiery judgment coming. If anyone tries to destroy the church, he has a fiery judgment coming. It will come by the spoken word and the written word. The word of their mouths, which is the word of God that was written and is eternal and was the person of Jesus Christ. Right? They will die in just this such way. The witnesses have the power. It doesn't say they use the power, it says they have the power to shut up the heavens so that rain will not fall while they prophesy. A direct reference to the prophet Elijah who marches into Jezebel's throne room and says, by the God I serve, it will not rain again in this country until I say so. And he turns around and walks out and everybody laughs at him, but it stops raining. And after a couple of years, Jezebel says go find that cat Elijah who came in here and said it wouldn't rain because it hasn't since he's been here. So they launched this nationwide manhunt to find Elijah. That's the kind of power enjoyed by those who live and breathe and serve and find their being in God's word. In God's word. Not just his written word, but his active, living, dynamic word, sharper than a double-edged sword that can divide spirit and truth and joint from marrow, right? The real word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelled among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son of God, You see, the written word was only the evidence, the manifestation of the real word, the living dynamic word that became Jesus Christ, that was given to us in the Holy Spirit so that we could partake of the word and become the church. The two things of God that he's granted us as his blessings on this earth as his witness on this earth, the word and the church. And all men will know that I have sent you when you are one as the Father and I are one. And all men will know that you belong to me by the way that you love each other, by the way that you function as the real church of redemption and love and forgiveness, and salvation in this world, as you become healing and light by my word and function as the church of my heart, then you are really a witness in this wicked world. I look at the church today, and I have to admit we're a long way from that. We're not much of a witness We'd rather argue than be a witness of healing and redemption and light. And sometimes even, I love to argue, I love to debate. Sometimes when I'm offering people light, it's at the end of a pretty heavy baseball bat. We have to lighten up a little bit. We have to be the light again. When they have finished their witness... When the word and the church have accomplished all they can on this earth, the beast which ascends from the abyss, first time we've heard about him, we're going to learn a whole lot more about him in in future verses, but here you get your first peek at him. The beast which has come up out of the abyss will wage war on them and conquer them and kill them. Their bodies will rot in the public square of the great city, which is called Sodom and Egypt. But in case you missed the hint, it's where their Lord was also crucified. Jerusalem here represents the marketplace, the place of wickedness, the place of disobedience. Sodom was a place of wickedness. Egypt was a place of disobedience. See, God had to send harsh judgment on both of them to catch their attention. Jerusalem also was judged harshly in 70 AD it was smashed down to ruins the field sowed with salt so they'd never grow anything and and the jews dispersed throughout the roman empire in what we call the diaspora jerusalem has also borne its judgment but that same judgment is coming on the marketplace on the world and from this moment on you're going to begin to see that judgment Some of the people and races and languages and nations, some of them, will view their bodies for three and a half days. Again, that three and a half days, that imperfect time, they're not gone. It's just for a phase. It's just for a season. But they won't allow their bodies to be burned because they're gloating, they're partying, they're celebrating, they're exchanging gifts because these two witnesses tormented the inhabitants of the earth. All you have to do is visit social media today and watch people misquoting scripture to try and justify their sin. It amazes me that that there's a whole meme going around right now because we're arguing right now over the Supreme Court's intention to send Roe v. Wade back to the States and let the states decide the abortion issue. And suddenly, all these people who've been calling my faith an ancient religion or an old fairy tale, they're suddenly posting this meme that shows all these Old Testament scriptures, a few words out of each one, taking taking them badly out of context, they say, life doesn't begin until birth. Life doesn't begin until that baby draws its first breath. It's like those same people that wanted to say, follow the science a year ago have now abandoned science in favor of a 2,000, 3,000 year old worldview. Suddenly they know nothing of science and only the metaphysical and only that from a 2000 BC perspective. You got to be kidding me. People will say and do anything to try and corrupt the word and the witness, the church, to try and push against us because we make their lives inconvenient. And, and again, that's really not the role of the church. The role of the church isn't to make people's lives inconvenient, nor is it to confront them with the truth. I'm so guilty of this because I want to argue with them. I Somehow I can't get it through my head that you don't change people's minds by arguing with them but you don't. I just watch in my world and I see how tormented lost people are by the truth of God's word and the reality of the church. Now the tense changes to past tense. (coughs) Excuse me, as though it's already happened. Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered into them. And they stood to their feet and great fear fell on all those who saw them. The witnesses heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up. And they ascended into heaven on a cloud while their enemies looked on. They were exalted while their enemies were not. This is not a rapture. This is a whole different kind of issue. The witnesses of God, his word and his church will not be snuffed out by this world. He has them in his hand. They are protected. He could suck them out of this world if he wanted to. He doesn't have to do that. The world can't harm them. It thinks it's got them. It thinks they're dead. When was this the truth that this is written in past tense? He's talking about the cross. On the cross, The enemy of your soul thought that he had brought an end to God's plans on this earth. The Bible says that if the enemy of your soul had known the plan for your salvation, he would not have let Christ go to the cross. He thought it was over then. He gloated. He celebrated. For those days that Jesus lay in that tomb, the devil thought he'd won. And all of heaven fell silent, waiting for the outcome. And on Sunday morning, the ladies went to the tomb and Jesus wasn't there. Madam, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen, just like he told you. The enemies always get to see the perseverance and the victory and and the ultimate power of the word and the church. And in that hour, there was a great earthquake so that a tenth of the city was destroyed and 7,000 people were killed. The survivors... Now listen to this. There's repentance here. That's not true before this and it's not true after. The survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The man, the, the centurion at the foot of the cross watches Jesus die and says, surely this was the king of, the son of a God. Surely this was the son of a God. If you'll read the the account of the crucifixion, that when Jesus died, there was an earthquake and the tombs around the city were open and many of the dead were seen walking around in the city in the following days. He's telling you story of the cross he's telling you the the salvation history of the church in Jesus Christ of the church and the word of the witness and the word he's telling you that story to remind you where you occur in the story in the inner temple court protected with an equal and opposite force on your side as fights against you ultimately a force so powerful that you can't be killed, that your witness can't be snuffed out, that your work can't be ended on this earth or in eternity as long as it's anchored in God's word and lived out as his church. Your faithful life will bring repentance amongst the nations of this world It will bring the people around you to Christ in your lifetime or after your lifetime. Your influence in your family may result in the salvation of your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, because you introduced your kids to Jesus. See what I'm saying? This is not all future telling, or it wouldn't be written in past tense. John is giving you the clues here to understand exactly what this means. Don't make it harder than it is. Just take it at its word. And I want you today to live with confidence. By his word and through his church in your life, God is working to bring hundreds of people around you into relationship with him. At least they'll ask the questions because they've been around you. I don't know how much longer we've got on this earth, any of us. I just pray that I can use each day, that you can use each day that we have to influence someone for the good of the kingdom of heaven, that we can reach out to them with the assurance that whatever you face today, God has power on your side that is equal to or greater than anything that's pushing against you. You can't lose here. Don't quit. Don't give up. Press on. Be his witness in this world, even if it irritates the devil and other people to no end. Let the Jesus in you shine. And when they attack you, just expect it. People attack me every day for my opinions in, in favor of God online. Today, I just said, yeah, everybody has body autonomy. Everybody in this world should have the right to determine what happens to their own body. But who protects the autonomy of the body inside your body? And when you ask the question that way, they can't answer it. Because if they say, I have the right, because that body is inside my body, I have the right to impose my will upon it. My autonomy trumps that one's autonomy. Then it becomes okay to override anybody's autonomy if you can just justify the reason. See? I asked that question today, and I caught vitriol like you can't believe from a couple of people who posted memes at me frantically and called me all kinds of names and made fun of my podcast, made fun of my book, made fun of my faith, but they never answered the question. And I sensed the power of God at work in my life to say, don't respond, don't taunt them, which I would love to do. Don't strike back, just keep asking them to answer that question. And that's what I did until they blocked me because they didn't want to answer the question. That's the kind of power I want you and me to experience today. That's the kind of encouragement I offer you today. Yes, the trampling goes on for three and a half years, and God's witnesses are active and witnessing for three and a half years. Exactly for every day the devil is active on this earth, God is here to fight back. And greater is he that is in me than the one that is in the world that throws all this garbage at us. Have a great day.